Hello and welcome to Total Recall ASM 19 on the Word on the Go podcast. Throughout this series we're going to be bringing you all the talks and seminars from this year's festival. We hope you enjoy. I hope you're suitably warmed up now. Here we are in God's presence for 2019 Summer Madness. And we have for our opening night a good friend of Summer Madness now. He was here last year and we're so grateful he's back this year. Put your hands together for Joshua Luke Smith, everybody. Oh, yeah, there he is. Thought he'd change his mind. Imagine if I had to do the talk, it'd all be leaving. Josh, very important. We have a young person to pray for Joshua tonight as well. Put your hands together for James, everybody. Woo! Oh, does James have a fan club out there? Oh. <laughs> Absolutely. James, tell us a bit about yourself. Where are you from? Uh, I'm from Orangefield Presbyterian Church. Any Presbyterians <laughs> in the house? That Ew. is your cue. <laughs> oh, you're not all bad. You're not all bad. Not all bad. Absolutely. They're not all bad at all. Um, James, what do you do with your life? Yeah, so I uh, study hospitality in tech, so it's like restaurant and hotel stuff. And uh, I also work part-time in McDonald's, so... Nice! <laughs> Could you get us some cheeseburgers? Absolutely, yeah, certainly. <laughs> nice one. Um, James, would you be up for praying for um, Josh here just before he uh, comes to speak to us? Let's pray. Father God, I lift Josh up to you now, and I just pray that you will bless his words, and that every single person in this room, no matter where they are at with you, um, in their faith journey, that they will receive what Josh will say about you, and I just pray for him and what he will do. In your name we pray, amen. What's up, Summer Madness? How are we feeling? Are we feeling good tonight? Come on. My name is Joshua. I'm not going to spend much time telling you about me because I have much more interesting things to talk about. I'll tell you two facts. The first one is this. When I'm not doing this, I'm in the studio, I'm on the road making hip-hop music. Any hip-hop fans in the house? A couple hip-hop fans in the house. The other very important fact is... I'm wearing the brightest t-shirt I have ever worn in my entire life right now. I'm usually dressed in black t-shirts, but I'm repping outside in. Anybody know about outside in? Yes! They're in, they're in, the, in the exhibition stand. You can go check them out. Outside in, make incredible threads, as you can see. And every time you buy a piece of clothing from them, they give you something to give to someone who's homeless. They're taking streetwear back to the streets. So if you can go check them out, do that. There's tons of amazing people. But um, I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to be back here. It's the summer. Make some noise. It's the summer. Hey. All right. Make some noise if you just finish your GCSEs. Make some noise if you finish your A-levels this year. Yes, it's good. I, um, I, w- I was here last year, and let me say this. I had the most amazing time. You need to know this. When you're up here speaking... Or when, when, when someone's here leading, we're not here just to do something or be a spectator to what's happening. We're here to receive. I'm in here with you, very excited for everything that God is doing amongst us. And I'm with you receiving it. You need to know that. I want you to make some noise for two groups of people before I get started. The first one is all of the people that made everything that you see here tonight happen. Can you make some noise for the Summer Madness team? Yes. Yes, and secondly, secondly, make some noise for your youth leaders and youth pastors who brought you here. Come on. Yes. All right. 
All right, let's get started. So I, I spoke on this stage a year ago pretty much to this day. I was on this, on this stage speaking. And one thing I know that unites this whole room is we've all been through something this year, right? We have all celebrated this year in one way or another. Some of us have grieved this year in one way or another. We have gained this year and we have lost this year. It's been 365 days and we've all been through something. And yet, here we are together again. Here we are gathered to feast on God's goodness. Here we are to celebrate a truth much bigger than ourselves and much bigger than our own stories. Here we are together to say, despite what we've been through, the story still isn't over. And for that reason, I feel proud of you and I feel excited and I'm eagerly in anticipation of what God is going to do. Because this is 2,000 plus strong people ready to lean into a story that's going to change their culture. I told people that I was coming here this weekend. I said, I'm going to this amazing festival. It's wild. It's got madness in the name. It's a bunch of young people. And they said, oh, it's amazing that you can do something that invests into the future of the church. And I said, hey, they're not the future of the church. They're the present of the church. We're not, we're, not, we're not waiting for you to grow up to become followers of Jesus who impact your culture. We're just running with you. We're all in this together, amen. So in the spirit of that, I'm going to get into the scriptures. And I'm going to look at a story tonight that Jesus tells in Luke 15. And this is, I'll be really honest with you, this is where I'm going tonight. This whole, this whole festival is based around shaped and stirred. My conviction is this, that unless we are shaped by the radical, unreserved, and unconditional love of God, everything else really fades into non-existence. Unless we meet God in his love for us, everything else, honestly, my friends, is a footnote. And so tonight, I want to start this weekend with us focusing in on the love of God and a story that Jesus tells, which is honestly the most compelling story that i found in the scriptures. I come back to this story over and over again. I've been living in this story for the last few weeks, and it's been changing my life, and I've read it a million times before. A wise man of the faith, A.W. Tozer, said this, what we think about when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And the philosopher Blaise Pascal said this, God made man in his image, and then man returned the favor. What does that mean? We are on a constant journey of rediscovering God for who he's really like, who he really is, how he truly feels towards us. And when we understand that and experience that completely, we're changed forever. So this is the story that Jesus tells, and uh, let's get into it. This is Luke 15. You can get out. I'm, I'm ready to see a glow of light, says I think you get your Bibles out right now. Luke 15, and we're going to start from uh, verse 1. I hope this is all right. I'm not going to just read this scripture out and just preach. I'm going to go through this. I'm going to read it with you, and I'm going to stop at various parts that I feel like we need to pause on. Are you with me tonight? Yes? All right, here we go. This is Luke 15. The first verse says this. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. All drawing near to Jesus. The tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. That's an amazing way to start a story. Because it says this, Jesus' audience was wild. And there was something about Jesus that was attractive to the people that the religious people found the most offensive. It begins with a statement that really should compel us to transform ourselves, to change ourselves, so that we could be people that the most unlikely people find compelling to be around. There is no one 
No one's so offensive that God doesn't want to draw them to his table. Jesus was with them. And it says the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious leaders, they grumbled saying, this man receives sinners and he eats with them. And they were saying that was like a criticism. And I want to say to you right at the start of summer madness, that should be our greatest compliment. That people would say of you, that guy eats with people we can't stand being around. The people that offend us. The people that upset us. This generation of young people, they're going to go seek them out, find them, love them, and be around them. There is no one so lost that God can't bring them home. And so often he uses us to be the representation of what he's like. All right, I'm going to skip right down to verse 11. That's the context. All these people, these rebels, these sinners, these religious leaders, they're all leaning in. And Jesus begins telling a story. And this is how, this is how he starts. He says this. There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, the younger said to his father, Father, give me my share of your property. Give me my share. Give me what's coming to me. You've got to understand the context of this. This is a young son saying to his father, Dad, I wish that you were dead. I'd rather have what you have than have you in my life. I'd rather have what you have than have you. It's the most offensive thing you could say to anyone, not just in the first century. It's the most offensive thing you could say to someone right now. I wish you were dead so I could access your wealth. I'd rather what you have than our relationship. But the father divided his property between them. Verse 12, the father divided everything he had between his two sons. Now, not many days later, the young son gathered all that he had, his inheritance. And he took a journey to a faraway land. And he squandered all that he had on reckless living. Everybody in this tent say reckless. He squandered everything that he had on reckless living. The word reckless simply means to act in a way where you're unconcerned with the consequences of what you're doing. That's what it means to be reckless. You're unconcerned with the consequences. You're unconcerned with what it turns out to be or what, how it looks. You're unconcerned. And within a few days, in a few weeks perhaps, he squanders everything his father has given him on reckless and wild living. And I don't know about you. I don't know how honest we're going to get tonight. But I can tell you that I've been reckless many times in my life. I've lived like what I do doesn't matter. And there's not an effect. And there's not a consequence. I've treated people in my life in the way I speak to them, in the way I talk about them when they're not there. Like there isn't a consequence to my words. I pretend that life and death isn't in the power of the tongue. How we speak, speaks so much about us. And I know there's been times in my life I've been reckless with my words. But sometimes we're just reckless with our actions. Sometimes we do things when no one's watching. And we just think, I don't really care about the consequences. I'm going to numb myself so much that I'm not even prepared to perceive that there are going to be consequences. Sometimes you hang around with people and they lead you to be a little bit more reckless because they've been living a bit reckless longer than you have. And you're in a group of people and everybody's acting reckless. So reckless kind of seems normal. And to even think about what your actions might do seems a little weird. So your lifestyle is just reckless. And what happens next in the story after his reckless living and he's lost everything, all of his money, it says a severe famine rose in the country. A famine rose in the country. So people that had been preparing food, storing food, looking after food, they were okay. But the people that hadn't been storing food, the people that hadn't been looking after themselves with a future perspective, 
They were not. And this young son was in that situation. Everything he had was gone and then a famine came. And I was reading this a little while ago and the Lord really spoke to me and he said, Josh, the famine wasn't the problem. The famine wasn't the issue. It was how he was living before the famine. That was the problem. It was what he was doing with his life before the famine came because we all have an opportunity to define who we're going to be when a storm hits. It's very hard to build a culture or build a character when you're in the middle of chaos or crisis. You do that before the crisis. You do that before the storm. So when it comes, when it hits you, you already know who you are and you already know who you have. Psalm 23 says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will. I will fear no evil. What you're walking through is defined by who you're walking with and who you are when you're walking through that valley. This man found himself without anything and a famine came. His reckless living, his lifestyle that didn't take into thought the consequence of his actions only really came that apparent when the crisis came. And I want to tell you this, my friends, and I'm not making this too somber tonight. I'm just being real with you. The famines come. And the storms come, and the crisis comes, and the chaos comes, and there is nowhere in the Bible that says otherwise. But Jesus says, let your hearts not be troubled. Let your hearts not be troubled. Why, Jesus? I will be with you in it. My peace I give to you. That's the promise of Jesus. It's coming, but I'm going to be there with you. And when I'm in the boat, the waves and the wind don't necessarily have the last word. So this young son had been living like Jesus wasn't anywhere with him. He'd been living like his actions didn't matter. And then the famine came and he found himself with nothing. Then it says this. So he was starving, realizing he was in need. He went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens in that faraway country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. He hired himself out. He sold out. He hired himself out. He gave himself to something that was beneath him. Are you still with me? This is, this is the truth. If you live like there's nothing above you, you'll find yourself doing things that are beneath you without even realizing how you got there. If you live like there's nothing above you, you'll start living in ways that are beneath you. And I'm not saying that in judgment. I'm saying it when we know that the God who breathed everything into existence yet calls us by our name, loves us without condition or reservation, is always with us. It prevents us from behaving in ways that are beneath us. But when we live in ways that just don't take into account the love and the affection of God, the truth of who he is in our life, the grace of Jesus, we start doing things that are beneath us. This man was raised with wealth. His father had servants, and now he finds himself feeding pigs. He finds himself feeding pigs. That's how bad it's gotten. And maybe, if you can be really honest with yourself tonight, maybe you know how that feels. I do. Not literally to feed pigs. I haven't done that. But I have done something. I have been involved in things. But it took me a little while, but I did wake up to in the knowledge of this isn't right. This isn't me. This isn't who I am. And yet I'm indulging in it. And this is what he says in that place, and it's very profound. He says, when he came to himself, when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? 
but I perish here. I perish here. And sometimes it takes getting to rock bottom to realize where you are. When I was about 17 years old, I realized that I was at rock bottom. I realized that the way that I was living had a pretty predictable ending. And I like good stories. I like stories where you don't know what's going to happen next. And my life was going away where it was pretty clear. Josh is going to end up as a man so numb and so dumbed down to everything he was born to be, you won't even recognize him anymore. And I found myself saying, you know what, this lifestyle is beneath me. And I really relate to what happens next. This is what the son says. I will arise out of my hunger. I will go to my father and I will say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned before you. Has anybody ever done this little speech in their mind? When you realize you've hit rock bottom and you start saying prayers that you would never really pray if you weren't in that place. And you start rehearsing it in your mind. You're not actually saying it to God. You're almost rehearsing the prayer that you're going to say to God when you feel like you're in a slightly better place. And you're saying things that don't really ring true to who you are, but it's all you can say. All you can fathom is say, I will say, Father, I've sinned against heaven, against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. So treat me like a servant. And now he's feeling inspired. He's got his speech together. And he gets up. And he, he goes back home. He starts walking home. It says this. He arose. And he came to his father. And this is the most important verse for me in this story, my friends. It says this. On his way home, while he was a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion upon him. It says the father saw him, felt compassion upon him, and then began to run. A little time earlier, this son had gone to his father and said, Dad, I wish that you were dead. I want what you have and not who you are. And then within a matter of months, perhaps, he squandered it all. Up until this point, he's been feeding pigs. He probably smells like pigs. And he's on his way home. And then he sees his dad running towards him. I know what I'd be thinking. Me and dad are about to throw down. This is happening right now. I'll probably begin clenching my fists. I might even begin running backwards as I see this man running towards me. Let me tell you another thing. In the first century when Jesus is telling the story, and remember, all the sinners and the Pharisees are leaning in. They don't know what's going to happen next. But they all know that if you're a son and you squander your inheritance, you're not allowed back home. But they also know this. Men don't run. Men of good stature and reputation, men who are respectable don't run. It's beneath them. It's shameful. As they run, their robes would be lifted and you'd see their bare legs. How embarrassing. Older men don't run. But this father is running. You could say it's reckless. You could say he's running. Like he has no awareness of the consequences. He just knows it's what he has to do. He's running towards his son. And I can feel the heartbeat of his son seeing his father run towards him. And all he's feeling in his soul is shame. All he's feeling is an awareness of what he hasn't done right. Of how much he's let this wonderful man down who's given him everything. And now he's running right at him. Anybody felt like that before? Anybody felt so at the end of yourself? Like to become face-to-face -face with God is a terrifying idea. I have. 
I have. And the father's running towards him. And what happens next is shocking. You might have heard this story before and it doesn't feel shocking anymore because you've heard it so many times. But let me tell you, it's shocking. It doesn't make sense in the culture and it actually still doesn't make sense now. It doesn't fit condition. It's without condition. It's totally unreserved. The father runs out to meet this son who has wished him dead and squandered everything he's ever had. And it says he embraces him and he kisses him. I don't know if you're going to keep your fist clenched at that point. He kisses him. And this is so interesting. Listen to this. He says this. The younger son starts his speech that he's rehearsed. And I know what this feels like. You're just like, I've got to get these words out. I've got to say these words because this is my peace. If I say these words, then you'll forgive me. If I say these words, then you'll understand. If I say these words, if I position myself so low down, perhaps the punishment punishment will be less severe. I'm not worthy of this anymore. The younger son says this. He goes, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be your son. And in his rehearsal, do you remember when he was in a pigsty? In his rehearsal, he said, I'm no longer worthy to be your son. Hire me back as a servant. I'll come in like a servant and a slave because I'm not worthy to be your son. But he doesn't get to say it. The father interrupts him. I'm not worthy to be your son. Let me be. But the father says, bring me my servants. And he says to his servants, bring quickly the robe and put it on him. Bring quickly the robe and put it on him. When the father put the robe back on his little boy, he was saying, son, you're not coming back here as a slave. You're not coming back here as a servant. You're coming back here as my son. The robe represented his identity. Son, you're coming back here just like you left. You're mine. You're my boy and I love you. And then he says, bring me the ring. And he puts the ring on his finger. And I don't know if you know this. This is so powerful. The ring represents his inheritance. It represents the very thing he squandered. The ring represents everything that he lost. Without a moment, the father restores him. My mind is getting blown when I'm reading this story. I wasn't always taught about this God that Jesus teaches about. He's saying this is what the father's like. Before you can get your big self-righteous speech out, my son, he's already restored you. You're already being welcomed home. You're not being ashamed. You're not being embarrassed. You're not being ridiculed. You know, when the father was running, part of the reason he was running was because there was a, tra a tradition that when young men, and this happened, when young men squandered their inheritance, when they went away to a faraway land, when they went down at Dublin, and they started coming home, the neighbors would run out to meet them. And the neighbors of the town would run out and they'd have a big clay pot, pot, big clay pot. And as the son came closer to the home, they would smash the clay pot in front of his feet. And they would say, shame on you. You're not coming back here as you left. Shame on you. They'd spit on his feet. You're not welcome to be recognized in this village like you once were. Perhaps the father was running to meet his son to reach him with words of forgiveness before the words of shame could take root. This is the kind of God that we're worshiping. 
Perhaps the Father is speaking to our hearts tonight with words of forgiveness to replace, to evict the words of shame that have rested there. This is my son. This is my daughter. And I don't care how it looks, how undignified or reckless. I am running to meet them before the words of the enemy can convince them of anything less than is true. I know that feeling of walking home. I know that feeling of shame. Let me tell you this. I'll be honest with you. There was a time when I was a teenager. I know many of you have done this, so don't act like I'm the only one. I told my mom I was sleeping at my friend's house. He told his mom that he was sleeping at mine. We went out to a party. And in my head, I was like, this is fine. I'm going to go to this party. I'm going to walk back early in the morning. No one's going to know anything. I went to this party. I left the party at about 6 in the morning. And I started walking home back to my house. And I knew that I was going to get home. And I'll just say to my mom, hey, mom, I just came back a little early. I'm walking at home at 6 in the morning. There's no cars on the road. And then all of a sudden, I see this car that I recognize coming towards me. And it starts slowing down. And as it goes past me, me and my mother make eye contact. And on that morning, the co-op was closed and she had to drive to one a little further away. And after she saw me, we looked at each other and we both knew something. I'd lied. I'd squandered. I felt so much shame. And I remember walking home from that moment and making eye contact with her. And honestly, this story has never meant so much to me than in that moment. Because although I needed to repent and ask for forgiveness from my mom and from God, this story revealed what God's response to me would be. Redemption. The Greek word for repentance. The Greek word for repentance means to change your mind. And the Hebrew word for repentance means to return. When you say, I don't want to live in a way that's beneath me anymore, you say, God, I'm changing the way I view myself. I'm changing the way I view others. I'm changing the way I view this world. And Father, I'm coming home. And when you come home, you're not going to be met with a God who shames you or ridicules you. You're going to be met with a dad who runs to meet you, who gets there quicker before the lies can get there. And he says, son, daughter, I'm so glad you're home. He says to the servants, go and get the calf. Go and get the fattened calf, the brazen brief. Let's have brisket tonight. We're having a party. Why? My son was dead. Now he's alive. My son was lost. Now he is found. And they had a party. Every time that you change your mind about how you're living and who you are, heaven has a party. Every time you change your mind about how you're treating the world and decide, I want to live in a way that represents the kingdom, heaven starts having a party. Heaven's having a lot more parties than we realize. The kingdom isn't boring. The kingdom is wild. Because the person who's sitting at the head of the table is a father who doesn't care what he looks like when he loves you. He doesn't care what he looks like when people see him loving you. He's audacious and radical and unrelenting in his love for you. But there's a little end to the story that I want to keep talking about. As the party's going on, as that music's playing, you know what music sounds like when you're a little far away? It's playing in the distance. You can just hear it humming. There's the older son. And the older son is working in the field. And he can hear this music. And he says, where's that music coming from? Why is there music? And he calls out one of the servants. And he says, why is there music playing? Why is there a party happening? And the servant says, sir, your brother, your younger brother who was lost, he's come home. We thought he was dead. He's alive. 
And it says this, the older brother was angry. He was angry. And so the father left the party. Dad left the party that he put on. The beef is smoking. It smells amazing. They're eating. But he leaves the party and he goes out to the field and he says to his older son, older son, what are you doing out here? We're having a party. Your, your brother who was dead is alive. He's come home to me. And the older brother says, father, I've been out here working in these fields day in and day out. And you've never even given me a goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But this guy comes back, squandering everything that you've given him, and you give him a party. You've never even given me a goat. But the story said in verse 12, when the father divided his property, he divided it between both of his boys. Verse 12. Jesus is such a good storyteller. He divided his property with the younger son and the older son. So despite, this is what God said to me one day, my friends. I was looking at the scripture and I was like, this is so powerful. What are you saying, God? He said this, Josh, despite all the gold I've given you, all you see is the goat that you don't have. If you spend your life trying to earn something that's already been given as a gift, you're only going to live with lack. He's still with me tonight. If you live your life trying to earn what has already been given you as a gift, you're only going to live with lack. And the father looks at his son and it says he begs him to come and join the party. That's a mic drop moment for Jesus. The Pharisees and the sinners. The Pharisees being the older brother, working for God's approval. Anybody relate to that? I do. I've spent so long trying to win God's favor, trying to win God's approval, trying to do the right things, trying to walk the tightrope, trying to look right, trying to be a good Christian. The older son, the rebel, I've been there too. I've done things that have made me feel so ashamed. I've done things that didn't represent Jesus. And this is what Jesus says his father is like. When you repent, when you change your mind and you decide to go home, a party happens for you. That's good news, right? I think it's very good news. I want to close with this. And that wonderful band, you guys can come up and join me if you want. This, this changed my life. I read this story and I thought, okay, God, how can I receive this into my life? Is anybody in this room that wants to receive this truth tonight in some way or another at the beginning of summer madness? You want to receive the truth of how God sees you and how he loves you. Paul says in Romans 8, he says this. I haven't been given the spirit of fear, summer madness. We have not been given the spirit of fear. We have been given the spirit of adoption. And it cries out from within us, Abba, Father. The little kids in Jerusalem today say, Abba, Abba. It's their word for daddy. He says, you haven't been given a spirit of fear. You've been given the spirit of adoption that testifies, I have a dad. Can you throw that picture up that I sent you guys? Do you have that on you? Real quick. Let me see if this works. Whether or not it comes up. All right, that, that cute little girl right there, you can do a, uh. That's my little sister. She doesn't look like me because she was adopted from China. Can you send the next picture real quick? That's who she is last week after she got baptized. Let me tell you this. When Paul wrote those words about adoption, 
they had very, very powerful connotations. He was writing to the church in Rome, and the church in Rome had a system of adoption. Let me explain it really quickly. If you were a son or a servant in a house, that father could give you up for adoption if he didn't want you anymore. He would go to a court, and he would break his bond with you as a father, and you would be untethered and an orphan, all right? That's who you'd be. You'd be an orphan. You're once in a family, but you no longer are because you've been rejected. But there was a second step to this process when another family would come to the court and they would put a submission in to then adopt you. <laughs> and the court would call on seven witnesses. Everyone say seven. Seven witnesses. And seven witnesses would come and they would witness the judge in the court signing the papers that said, yes, you had been rejected by your family. You had been made an orphan. But here, in my presence, with these seven witnesses, we can verify you have now been readopted. You've been adopted into a new house and a new home. And there was a very significant detail to the system of adoption in Rome as Paul wrote that message. When you were adopted into a new house, it was illegal, impossible for that family to ever give you up again. You could never be re-given up. You could never be rejected. And if anyone called into question whether you were valid in your adoption, guess what? There were seven witnesses. You know seven throughout the scripture is a number that represents God. Paul says this, you don't have a spirit of fear, summer madness. You don't have a spirit of anxiety. You have the spirit of adoption. You have within you, you have within you the imprint, the seal of a father who said, you are mine. I'm never letting you go. And if anyone calls in a question whether this is real, if that enemy starts speaking lies to you, if you hear that, that word in your mouth, that in your heart, sorry, in your head that says, you know, you don't belong here. You're not good enough. He doesn't really love you. That's when you call on the witness. That's when you call on the Holy Spirit. And you say, Holy Spirit, by the blood of Jesus, my adoption papers were signed. And you bear witness to the fact that it's never going to change. That's the truth of how we're starting this weekend. The truth is, you're never going to be rejected again by God. It's never going to happen. You're always going to be welcomed home. And I'd love as we begin this weekend just to pray over you all, whether you're feeling like the older son or the younger son, whether you feel like you need reminding, you need reminding of who you are. I'd love to pray for you so that you can go into this weakness, this weekend, shaped and stirred in the reality that you are radically loved by God. Amen. You want to stand with me tonight? Let's do that. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, you bear witness to the fact that we are children of God. We are no longer slaves nor servants. You bear witness that the blood of Jesus sealed our adoption papers. Tonight, Lord, in this tent, 2,000 strong, we declare that truth. We are radically loved by God. Father, I pray over every single person in this room, every, every single person, Lord, I pray that your radical, unrelenting, unreserved, without conditioned love would be made known into their hearts. Lord, capture their hearts tonight.
If you want, just breathe in. Take a deep breath in. Breathe in the love of God. You can say under your breath, I am loved by God. I am loved by God. That's the truest thing about you, my friend. That's the realest thing about you. You are loved by God. As we sing these songs, just allow that truth to take root into your heart. Every other part, every other word spoken over you is a lie. It's not true. You're welcomed home. Heaven's having a party. You can be at rest. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. There's amazing prayer and ministry tonight. Down the sides here, people are going to come and willing to pray for you. If you want to come down and just worship, you can. If you want to go to the sides and receive prayer and ministry, you absolutely can. Tonight is the night where you can say, I'm not waiting for Saturday night. Let's get started right now. I want to meet with God right now. I want to come home right now. Amen. Thank you for listening to Word on the Go. For more information about the festival or to contact us, please visit us at www.summermadness.co.uk forward slash festival or reach out to us across our social media platforms.